Very good evening. Please do be seated. It's lovely to have you with us this evening. Uh, I particularly like to welcome those who are with us for the first time. It's great to have you here too. We're at the moment in a series looking at John's Gospel. Um, we're now in John chapter 8, so it would be great if you could open your Bibles again to that Gospel reading. John chapter 8 on page 1066. Page 1066, John chapter 8. And we're starting at verse 31. Other thing I'd like to commend to you is in the middle of your bulletin, there's an outline that might help you to follow through the sermon. And there's some Bible verses there as well. Most importantly, John chapter 8 on page 1066 of your Bibles. Should we start with prayer? Almighty God, we... Thank you for all that has been so far this day. And now we pray that you would quieten our hearts and minds, that we could consider rightly your word together. Grant us this grace to understand it, and through understand it, change us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I read very recently uh, an interesting but troubling article. It seems that doctors in England are sometimes having trouble with a particular group of patients. These patients come to the doctors and receive a diagnosis of cancer. Now, that's always a very hard diagnosis. But these are cancers which the doctors tell them can almost surely be treated and cured. The doctors tell them what they need to do. But for one reason or another, many of them do not hear the word of the doctors. They go off and end up dying unnecessarily. Despite having gone to the doctor, they hadn't heard the word and it didn't do them any good in the end. Sometimes it seems that for some people coming towards Jesus is a little bit like that. It seems sometimes there are people who want to come to Jesus but when they come to him, they're not able to hear his word. And so in the end, they turn and reject him. If you look through church history, you'll find many examples of this kind of thing. And I think even today, you will find some people who, who seem to think they want to claim the name of Jesus, but are unwilling to keep his word. And if it's true today, it's also true in our passage, in Jesus' time, in John's Gospel. Now, if you remember the past few weeks, we've had sermons where, in which we've seen Jesus in the temple. It's the Feast of Booths, and he's teaching the crowd. Last week, we heard the section in which he said that he is the light of the world. And at the end of that passage, we read that many who heard believed in him. Well, in today's passage, he now turns to those Jews who had believed in him, and he says to them, Chapter 8 and verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's a great promise indeed for them, and it's a focus of our sermon today. If we abide in the word of Christ, we are truly his disciples, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. 
But I want us to notice that that great promise starts off with this word, if. If you abide. And that's because there is a very real possibility of those who hear Jesus not abiding in the truth. And so not receiving the freedom he comes to bring. So I guess the first thing we need to ask this evening is, what does it mean to abide in the word? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because it turns out that that's what we're going to be seeing in the rest of this passage. Or should I say this is what we're not going to be seeing. Because Jesus is about to give to those who had believed in him four hard words. Four truths that they will resist and reject and ultimately fall away from Christ because of. We'll look at those four words. The first hard word is that he says that they are slaves of sin. Now this is a very hard word indeed. Abiding in this word doesn't just mean confessing that we are not good enough or righteous enough to be acceptable on our own. No, it also means confessing that we are so bad that we are we are, as it were, enslaved to the power of our own sin. That sin, not God or ourselves, is the real master of our lives. It's a hard word he gives them. And he gives it to them in two steps. First, he gives it to them in that promise we heard that the truth will set them free. But they find that's a threat already. And they don't miss a beat. The Jews reply to him. They say to him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Dear brothers and sisters, pride is so deceptive, isn't it? A prideful heart will blind our eyes almost faster than anything else. And in their case, their pride in being descendants of Abraham has not only blinded them to their slavery of sin, but has blinded them to the fact that they have a long history of being slaves. Jesus could well have answered them along those lines. Jesus could well have reminded them of the fact that they were slaves for so long in Egypt, or that they became slaves in the time of the judges, or that they were enslaved in the exile, or that to this very day they are under the power of the Roman Empire, and he would have been right. But that is not how Jesus replies. Because the slavery he wants to show them is much more serious than any of those. As he says, verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You'll find the same hard word given by St. Paul in Romans on your outline. He says, you are slaves of the one you obey. Either sin that leads to death or obedience that leads to righteousness. And this teaching is fundamental to Christian faith. Why do I say that? It's because, do you see, trusting in Jesus doesn't just mean trusting that Jesus is really impressive or trusting that somehow he will be to our advantage. Trusting in Jesus is trusting in the Son of God who came to save us sinners from our sins. As he says, verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It is a hard word for them to hear though, isn't it? 
And actually, it's a hard word for us today as well. It's a challenge to our self-righteous pride. I don't know about you, but I always like to, I'm always, always tempted to see myself as a generally good person who's doing Jesus a favor by coming on board with his program to help him out. But that's wrong, isn't it? If we truly seek to be Jesus' disciples, we are to come to him as helpless sinners seeking salvation from sin's power and penalty. Let us hear his word that we are slaves of sin and so abide in it that we might be his disciples, that we would know the truth and the truth will set us free. That's the first word. The second hard word comes in verses 37 to 47. And this is a word he gives them so hard that it will force them to confess the evil ruler of their hearts. He starts off responding to their claim to being sons of Abraham. But then he, he questions their true parentage. Verse 37, Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They give the obvious indignant response, Abraham is our father, to which Jesus immediately responds saying that they cannot really be sons of Abraham. If you were Abraham's children, he says, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. (coughs) Let that sink in for a moment. What's being said here? Both Abraham and them, they have both heard a hard word from God. But what did Abraham do? He kept that word by faith. He left his homeland to go to the land of which God promised him. He trusted God's promises. He even raised the knife to slaughter his own son in obedience of faith. But what are these Jews doing with their hard word? Well, so far are they from obeying it with faith that they are trying to destroy the one who brings it, even Christ himself. They are nothing like Abraham. They are like quite a different father indeed. Predictably, verse 41, they object to him. They say, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They're ratcheting up their claim, aren't they? But if their behavior's already shown they're no son of Abraham... How can those who hate the one who comes from God himself be sons of God? No, as Jesus is about to show, their father is not Abraham and their father is not God, but someone else entirely. This is verse 42, Jesus says, If God were your father, you would love me, for I come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. 
and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I don't know about you, but if I was thinking of things to say to people to motivate them to come and follow me for something, you are the spawn of Satan, would not be on the list at all. Am I right? So what's Jesus doing? The reason we find it strange is that we have a tendency to misunderstand Jesus. Because, again, you see, he's not about finding supporters for a cause. He's about finding sinners and saving them. This is why he came into the world. This is why he will die at their hands in due course, bearing their sins to save sinners if they will abide in his word. He added a little proof to them that they are indeed acting like Satan, their real father. He points out they're in the business of condemning an innocent man. Verse 45, he says, But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. Although they are too proud to admit it, they're, they're clearly showing the family trait, aren't they? This is a very, very hard word to accept, though, isn't it? And a hard word for us, too. Are we today able to humble our hearts and confess that, yes, what we have been in the past, what we have been doing with heart and soul and mind and strength was actually guided by the devil himself. St. Paul in Ephesians insists that this is true of all mankind. But can we admit that it is actually true of us too? Dear brothers and sisters, let us humble ourselves and confess that yes, we have lived as if our father were the devil. And then Abiding in that word, let us come to Christ, who came to defeat the very same devil on the cross. As John writes later in 1 John 3, 8, it's on your outline, he says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is from the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Then he adds, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do not deceive ourselves. If we know we've been practicing sin, if we know that we've been ignoring the righteous word of God, personally or professionally, if we know we've been gossiping and lying and cheating and stealing, if we've been hating our brothers, despising our leaders, stirring up strife or content, if we know we've been filling our hearts with pornography, idolatry, adultery, then we know we have not been serving God but someone else, don't we? But we should also know this. We should know that our Lord Jesus Christ certainly did not come into the world because he thought that we were good people who loved our God and served him. No, he came into the world precisely because he knew that we had fallen into sin and the power and the dominion of the devil. It is why he came. So be bold and humble 
to smash your pride and come to him, that you will be his disciples and know the truth, for the truth will set you free. Second word. Now the third hard word from Jesus. Well, by now, do you see the Jews are becoming furious with Jesus? By now, instead of hearing or even considering his word, they're starting to hurl insults at him. They say, verse 48, Are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? To call him a Samaritan is a racial slur. To say he has a demon is to say that the words by which he promises life and freedom are actually lies from the devil. And I want us to be warned by this. I want us to be warned that we have the very same kind of heart that they have, the kind of sinful heart that will think nothing of rejecting salvation and life and light in order to avoid humbling itself before God. Watch out. Our hearts are no different. Jesus answers them very plainly. Verse 49, he says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And now he adds that third very hard word. He says, verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. To our ears, I hope that this is a word of sweetness and hope and life, that it is a promise that the grave holds for us no threat, that we will never enter the pit of hell. But to them, these words of grace only confirm he surely has, they think, a demon. So they say to him, verse 52, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? The point they're making is this. Since all the prophets, even the greatest prophets and the patriarchs died, Jesus is claiming to be something greater than the greatest of all the prophets. They're claiming he is therefore surely falsely boasting. He is glorifying himself in a way he should never be glorified. He's making himself something he surely, they think, is not. So Jesus answers them, verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him. And I keep his word. Which brings us to the fourth of our four hard words. Again, it starts off concerning Abraham. But let me tell you that this hard word is so hard that the moment that they hear it, they're going to want to kill Jesus on the spot. So hard will it be to abide in that word. He starts off fear verse 56 saying this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The claim Jesus starts off with is immense. He's saying that Abraham, who had died some 1,500 years ago, had seen Jesus, who's apparently only a few decades old. 
And Abraham, the great patriarch, had looked to this Jesus with gladness. So they asked the obvious question. You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And there you have it. The hardest word of all. Why? Because this word is a direct and open claim by Jesus that he is God from all eternity. In our Old Testament lesson from Exodus, we heard God tell the Israelites his name is I am who I am. Say this to the Israelites, he said. Say, I am has sent me to you. And now Jesus stands in the temple saying, before Abraham was, I am. Do you see it's a hard word indeed? For not only is he calling them to acknowledge their slavery of sin, to sin, not only is he insisting that they are to this very point the offspring of the devil, not only is he claiming that keeping his words will mean they will never see death, he is saying to them that he himself is God in the flesh. To the Jews, this means an almost total change to their conception of God and of Jesus. If it is false, it is the very highest of blasphemies. But if it is true, if they will abide in this word, then it demands of them their full and total allegiance to him as Lord and God. Hard word, isn't it? Yet if they abide in his word, they will indeed be his disciples. They will know the truth. And the truth will set them free. Having seen those four hard words, what's our own response today? Well, if, I, if we found ourselves challenged by some of these things, then I think that's, that's a good thing. But it's only a good thing if it then leads us to keeping Christ's word rather than rejecting it. I want us to be particularly warned by the Jews who had believed in him in this passage not to let our prideful evil hearts cause us to reject our Saviour Christ. Let us be wise and humble ourselves before God, that at the proper time he might exalt us. Do you not know that God delights in the lowly and contrite of heart? So let us call on him as we should, saying, O Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so let us receive the freedom he brings from sin and life everlasting according to his word. Or whatever we do, I, I pray that we will not be like the Jews of the passage, who it had once said believed in him, but when they heard his word would not abide, who in the end rejected him in favor of the devil and the pride of sin, and who in verse 59 picked up stones to kill him. And finally, Dear brothers and sisters, for us who indeed know we have heard this word and joyfully abide in it, let this passage be an encouragement to us to keep on doing so. Let us find in these wonderful promises we have heard today fresh rejoicing 
knowing that we are his disciples, we know the truth, and the truth has set us free. Truly, truly, we who keep his words will never see death, all because of him who so loved us that he came to us and died for us. What wonderful promises we do have in Jesus, our Redeemer. Let's pray. Almighty and loving God, we thank you that you have given us your Son who came to die for our sins, that through the cross he would set us free from slavery to sin and break the power of the devil. We thank you that in him we have the sure and certain promise of forgiveness now and that we should not suffer death and hell. Pray, Father, you would grant to us humble and contrite hearts, that you would cast down our pride and our self-righteousness, that we should come to him with joy and with a humble faith. Pray, Father, you would not let us be stumbled by, by our own desires, but that with joy we would hear his word, that we would abide in it, that we would know the truth, and the truth will therefore set us free. We pray also, Father, for that day when he will come again and bring us with him to the joys of his kingdom that has no end, according to those very same promises in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray it in his name.